Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes. So and getting weirder yeah. by the minute, it seems like. So since last, 2020. So since last episode, we now have a president elect, Joe Biden. Yep. Though there is still a whole lot of craziness. January is a ways away. It's <laughs> it's about five years away. It's gonna, I feel like it's going to be a long November until we get mm, those yeah. electoral college yeah. results so we've in. Had Joe Biden named as president-elect. Yep. Trump fired the Secretary of Defense and a bunch of top Pentagon officials. officials. And Rudy Giuliani held a press conference in front of the Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia. So. So, yeah. Lots of fun craziness. Right. Has been happening. Um, Also, Kamala Harris is the VP-elect, which makes her the first woman, the first black person, and the first South Asian person to be VP elect in the United States history. Hmm. So to go with that, I have a presidential history question. Who was the first? Who was the first president to have a VP of color? Kamala Harris is not the first VP of color. There has been one before. I don't even know. I don't even have an error, I guess. Because I feel like it's going to be something crazy. Like something like like really early on (laughs) or something. Okay. Well, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. So, because it's election season, I kind of wanted to keep within election theme. Nice. Yeah. So... This is this is an election story. Keep that in mind, I guess. <laughs> we talking? Are we gonna get personal here about the time that you ran for uh, ASB president? Or no? <laughs> Being from a small town, I didn't really run for positions. I was usually just told what position I had. <laughs> My favorite was when I like showed up to school one day and they're like, "Hey, you're FFA vice president." I was like, "I'm not even in FFA." They're like, <laughs> "We know, but we thought you'd make a good vice president." So you're in FFA. You're in, a, you're in FFA now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and how were the duties? They were bad. If yeah. you're going to be elected to any office, I recommend vice v- I recommend vice president. Yeah. Not bad at all. Yeah. You get, like, a whole bunch of power and respect with, like, no responsibility. Yeah. That's real nice. I prefer the VP position out of all of them. Victoria California Claflin was born on September 23rd, 1838, and was the seventh out of ten children. Victoria grew up in a wood shack in Homer, Ohio. Victoria's father, Buck tried out several jobs to support his family, such as working in taverns and transporting lumber. But most of his money was made illegally. Buck stole horses and cheated locals out of money with scams. In 1841, Victoria's family lost the little bit of land they owned. All they had was a grist mill for grinding grain and their wooden shack. Hmm. The family struggled to eat, so Victoria went to her neighbor's house to ask for jobs she could do to earn a little money. 
Now she's like three years old at this time, three or four years old. Okay. And she's asking to do jobs for money so her family can eat. The neighbor agreed and gave Victoria small jobs to do around the house. One day, when Victoria was five, she went to the neighbors to do little jobs and discovered that her neighbor had suddenly died. Victoria ran to a nearby orchard to cry about the loss of her kind neighbor. There, Victoria had a vision that her neighbor came down from the sky and took her hand. Victoria ran back home and told her mother that she had been among the angels. Victoria's mother began to take Victoria to prayer meetings where Victoria picked up the art of preaching and was soon preaching to other children and yelling at them to repent of their sins. <laughs> tiny, Just, a tiny person yelling at other tiny people? Yeah. To repent. Babies. Yeah. Toddlers. Victoria didn't start school until she was eight years old and even then only went on and off for the next three years. So she never really had a formal education. Hmm. Victoria's father pulled her out of school when he realized that people would pay to hear the young Victoria preach and began traveling around Ohio. He was like, all right, capitalizing on this. Yep. When Victoria was about 15, her father abandoned the family. So Victoria and her younger sister, Tennessee, began to work as clairvoyants and told people their fortunes for a small fee. They learned to listen and pick up on clues that allowed them to give meaningful predictions of the client's future. Hmm. Victoria became sick, and her family called a doctor named Canning Woodhull. So I've seen both Canning and Channing. Hmm. So I'm not sure which one's right. Yeah. Channing seems like more of a real name, but in the 1800s, Canning could be a real name, too. Yeah. I'm not sure. So once Victoria was healed, Dr. Woodhull asked Victoria to marry him. On November 23rd, 1853, a month after her 15th birthday, they were married. Soon, Victoria realized that Canning was an alcoholic and spent most of the money he earned on booze. While living in Chicago, Victoria gave birth to a baby boy named Byron in December of 1854. Hmm. Victoria's father came back to the family and began to book Victoria and Tennessee gigs as mediums in hotels. 30-some years later? Um, so this is like 1854... He uh, left, okay. so it's really, he hasn't been gone that long. Oh, sorry. I thought you said she was she was married in 1850. She was married, no, she was married in 1853. At 20 years old. At 15 years old. Oh. She had a baby a year later. Jeez. And as soon as she had the baby, her dad was like. I'm sorry, I thought you said 50, and I was like, well, I think we skipped no. a lot of her lifetime, but maybe she was like, no. for a while. No, 15. She's starting, she's been doing a lot of work her whole life, like yeah. starting at three years old. Yeah. <laughs> a lot has happened in her yeah. short life. She's worked more between the ages of three to 15 than. Yeah, so now she's 16, has a baby, and her dad is back and making her work as a medium in mm. hotels. That's where we're at. Crazy. 16 years old. <sighs> I was building computers. For, like, gaming? Yeah. 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 And by me, I mean, my friends told me what parts to buy. So you could have your LAN parties? Yeah, we could have our LAN parties. (laughs) Hey, we would would play darts in the garage, too, all right? You you sound really cool. Yeah. Almost as cool as me being vice president of FFA. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason we ended up together. Yeah, yeah. Our, our levels of chill. <laughs> yeah. 
They're cool. They're cool <laughs> we, people. We were such cool people yeah. in high school. Yeah. People are always trying to keep up with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were the it kids. Yeah. No wonder we ended up yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> so Victoria and Tenny is how is what they called Tennessee for short. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'll call her from now on. Victoria and Tenny worked from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. and made around $100 a day communicating with people's dead loved ones. Dang. Which is pretty good money in the 1850s. Dang. Yeah. That's pretty good money for today. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. honestly. <laughs> no, it's not bad. You work a minimum wage job. I mean, it's a they're working... If you work a minimum, minimum wage job right now, guess guess what? You're not, not making... I mean, they're working like 13-hour days, but still. 13-hour days, minimum wage job. Guess what you're not making? 100 bucks a day. Yeah, that's true. No, these girls are raking it And they're it doing in. it in the 1830s. And I believe... I believe 1850s. And I believe they're making $100 a day each. Yeah. Yeah. So, on top of um, communicating with people's loved dead loved ones, mm-hmm. they, were, they were also selling Miss Tennessee's Magnesio Life Elixir for beautifying the complexion and cleansing the, and cleansing the blood, which was just like snake oil mm-hmm. and was mostly alcohol. And they sold the elixir for $2 a bottle. Ah, if you're interested in snake oils, you should listen to episode 12, Rattlesnake King. Yeah. Where we discuss the origins of snake oil, how it was brought to America in the 1800s. Yeah, and the guy that actually milked rattlesnakes for, yeah. rattle, for snake oil. <laughs> you can milk anything with... With, with nipples. That's what he says. Yeah. I'm trying to quote the baby there. From Meet the Parrots. Yeah. Yeah. You can milk anything with nipples. You can milk anything with nipples. <laughs> While in New York, <laughs> well, can you milk me, Greg? <laughs> While in New York, Victoria gave birth to a daughter she named Zula Maud. Canning helped deliver Zula, but as soon as she was born, he left to go on a three-day drinking bender. Both Victoria and Zula were bleeding, like, abnormally, uh, so, oh. until a neighbor came over and helped them. Victoria decided then and there that she was done with canning, and she left him. Good. Which is a big deal in the 1850s, because a lot of times, you could, as a woman, you couldn't just leave your husband. Yeah. But she's making money. She's an independent woman. Yeah. She don't need no man. Especially a stick in the mud like canning. Yeah. In 1864, Victoria and her children moved to St. Louis, where she advertised her medium powers under the pseudonym of Madame Holland. One of her clients was a Civil War veteran named James Harvey Blood. During one of their sessions, Victoria went into a trance in which she told Blood that his future destiny was to be linked with hers in marriage. They both decided to get married immediately. So she thought he was hot. Yeah, and he she was, was like, "She's like, I could, I could, I could look at this for at least a couple years." Yeah, to get and, and he was like, "Sounds legit." <laughs> he was like, "Oh, you gonna do this for free in the future then? Yeah, for Mario. Yeah, <laughs> done." The only problem was that James was still married to his wife, and Victoria oh, was still <laughs> legally married to Canning. James left oh, his wife. Small details. Yeah. James left his wife and young daughter to be with Victoria, which is a super cool move. And they both began the process of divorcing their spouses. His wife is like, wait, what? Like a medium told you that you guys were supposed to be married, and so you're leaving us? Yeah. Me and your daughter? Yeah. Our baby? Really? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, honey. It's what, it's, what, it's what the medium told me. Yeah. What can I do? It's what the spirits say. Mm-hmm. 
On July 12, 1866, James paid a minister in Dayton, Ohio, $5 to marry them. However, they never finished filling out the marriage application, and the minister never filed the paperwork, so they were never legally married. Mm. But it didn't really matter to them. They're like, eh, we feel like we're married, and that's all that counts. James was an advocate for free love and women's rights and encouraged Victoria to learn and become engaged in the suffrage movement. Victoria, James, and Tenny decided to move to New York to continue to grow their clairvoyant business. So she just never married? Tenny just was always like, nah. Uh, ter- Tenny married. It's just not as important. She, like, married a guy and then she left him. She's kind of like... she's Her and Victoria are very similar. Very free-spirited. Very free-spirited. Very, like... I'll marry you, but, like, don't expect me to give up my life or anything for you. And if you're, like, a piece of... Hot trash. Yeah, then I'm going to leave you, no questions asked. Yeah. So, Tenny, Victoria, and James move away. So, Victoria, James, and Tenny move to New York to continue on their business. Working on their business. Their biggest client in New York was Cornelius Vanderbilt, (laughs) a multimillionaire who wished to reach his deceased mother and son. Cornelius also encouraged many of his friends and family to use Victoria and Tenny, saying, Do as I do, consult the spirits. The 75-year-old Cornelius fell in love with Tenny, who was in her early 20s, and asked Tenny to marry him. Tenny turned down the marriage proposal, more than likely because she was still married to another dude that she just left and never legally got divorced from. Yeah. But they continued their romantic affair. Nice. I was just going to say, she. I'm sure she was like... No, we can't get married, but I'll be with you. Yeah, that's basically (laughs) what happened. Although Cornelius was in love with Tenny, he turned to Victoria for advice on business in Wall Street. Victoria had a friend that was an actress and the girlfriend of Jim Fisk, Cornelius's business competitor. Jim Fisk's girlfriend would tell Victoria about Fisk's business plans, and Victoria would pass off the information to Cornelius in the form of a fortune telling. Mm Hmm. Cornelius was able to use this advice and made a lot of money. Cornelius, in return, gave Victoria tips on stock trading and paid her handsomely for her advice. Cornelius eventually helped Victoria and Tenny open their own stock market brokerage house named Woodhull, Claflin, and Company in 1870. On their first day open, Victoria and Tenny wore matching outfits that were seen as scandalous as their skirts were so short that the bottoms touched the tops of their boots. So their skirts basically went to their ankles, which was too sexy for the times. S C A D. What is that? So are you are you spelling scandalous? Scandalous. scandalous. <laughs> Who sings that? The scandals. I, I, I think it's a flopsy. No, you're you're thinking of Fergie. No. Yes. Oh, is it Fergie that sings it? Yeah, but I don't think it's not scandalous. It's glamorous. <laughs> oh, let's see. But, but close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remix. I like the new. I like, I like how you changed it up for our Remix. episode. Yeah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Some newspapers reported that 10,000 people came into their firm for business that first day and named them the Queens of Finance and Bewitching Brokers. Victoria and Tenney quickly amassed a fortune with the New York Stock Exchange. During a cold panic in 1869, the sisters claimed to have netted around $700,000. Jeez. So they're doing good. They're doing very well for themselves. Yeah. Several men's journals of the time published sexualized images of Victoria and Tenney running their brokerage firm. 
basically just an a-hole way because these women are making a lot of money and doing a lot better than men on Wall Street. The classic. uh, they got to bring them down somehow. But suffragettes, including Susan B. Anthony, applauded women working on Wall Street. Victoria responded that a woman's ability to earn money is better protection against the tyranny and brutality of men than her ability to vote. Hmm. Using the money... They Which she's shown since day one when she yeah. first left her husband. Yeah, she's right? like, I have my own money. I don't have to put up with this. Lighter chaining. Yeah. Like, don't need you. Exactly. Got my money. You're a turd. Yeah, if a woman has money, she don't need a man. and She don't yeah. need to put up with that. Yeah. Using the money they had made through their brokerage firm, Victoria and Tenney founded the newspaper Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly. The newspaper focused on women's issues and advocated that women belong to be treated as equals to men in the workplace, politics, and family dynamics. Which is scandalous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How dare you think that women should be equals? The newspaper also ran pieces on sex education, freedom to choose who they marry, the right of women to divorce their husbands, short skirts, spiritualism, vegetarianism, and licensed prostitution. Outrageous. Along with exposés on stock scams, insurance frauds, and corrupt congressional land deals. Outrageous. These women. Talking about being vegetarians and... Meddling in men affairs. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. The newspaper, though, was sponsored by some of the largest and most reputable brokerage firms and banks that took out ads on the newspaper's front page. Hmm. Victoria attended a female suffrage convention in 1869 and became even more involved in the suffragist cause. Shortly after, Victoria became friends with Massachusetts Congressman Benjamin Butler. Victoria convinced him to invite her to testify before the House Judiciary Committee on the topic of women's suffrage. Victoria... Ah, uh, nothing like a bunch of old white men sitting in a room talking about women's rights. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, that gets me every time. To a, yeah, a, to a especially, 30-year-old woman. Yeah, especially, like, in law school. I, I love it when the, the men chime in and want to voice their opinion on, like... Women's rights? Yeah, I'm like, okay, like, I, you, you just, like, you don't see it, do you? Like... <laughs> Well, I have opinion about women's rights as a man, and I'm going to tell you about it. Yeah. It's like, all right, so clearly you don't, like, kind of understand this whole thing. It's like, nobody honestly gives what a man's opinion is about women's rights. Maybe we should right? ask women about what women's rights should be. Yeah. yeah. It's a crazy idea, I know. <laughs> Nuts. So, yes. Victoria gets... Get that free thinking out yeah, of here. Victoria gets to go before the House Judiciary Committee to talk about the topic of women's suffrage. Victoria arrived at Congress on January 11th, 1871, where she declared that women had already been given the right to vote under the recently ratified 14th and 15th Amendments. The 14th Amendment states that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States, and no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States. And the 15th Amendment states that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Victoria argued that women had been in servitude for a very long time. Forever. And so they should, they are citizens because they're born in the U.S., and citizens have the right to vote. And 
basically one of the men on the committee said, you are not a citizen. She said, then what am I? And he said, a woman. And then Congress didn't do anything. They were like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We don't necessarily know that we want to not call women. Yeah. Citizens. Citizens. But we're going to say that you're not citizens because we're not going to give you the right to vote. Yeah. Victoria argued that women are citizens and... That's sure that I'm following here. So Victoria then, you know, continued to argue that women are citizens and should be given the right to vote. Mm. And the citizen who is taxed should also have a voice in the subject matter of taxation. This is a lady who's making a lot of money and probably paying a lot of money in taxes. She's like, I feel like I should have a right to see where my taxes are going. All right, government. Or don't tax me if I'm not a citizen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, right, government. (laughs) Yeah. All right, government. I'm not I'm not a citizen, then uh, why am I paying taxes? Yeah, she's like, taxation without representation, or just don't tax me. <laughs> don't tax me, bro. Victoria ended her speech with the threat that if men continued to exclude women from government, women w- would have no choice but to revolt and govern themselves. Congress declined to pass any legislation giving women the right to vote. So her speech didn't help. Wow. But in 1871, the Equal Rights Party met in Apollo Hall, New York, and nominated Victoria Woodhull as their as their candidate for the United States presidency. Mm. Abolitionist Frederick Douglass was selected as her running mate. However, Douglass never even acknowledged the nomination and campaigned for Ulysses S. Grant instead. They just kind of picked who they wanted and <laughs> nominated him yeah. without his say-so. And then he's like, nah, you can't do this. Yeah. But Grant, he's he's a good candidate. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria's campaign platform focused on women's suffrage, monopoly regulation, nationalization of railroads. Which which sucks that she went straight for women's rights because technically women don't have the right to vote yet. Right. It's, yeah, it sucks that she couldn't. So, like, literally her base yeah. did not they exist. Can't vote for her. She can't even vote for herself. Yeah. Her campaign focused on that, eight-hour workdays, direct taxation, abolition of the death penalty, and welfare for the poor. She had a lot of big, she had a lot of big thoughts, a lot, a, of, a lot of socialist then. thoughts. Yeah. Victoria's candidacy was extremely ridiculed by critics, mm-hmm. obviously. Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, wrote a book titled My Wife and I, which featured a character named Audacia Danger Eyes that shared a lot of similarities with Victoria. In the book, Audacia runs for president, and the book says, No woman that was not willing to be dragged through every kennel and slopped into every dirty pail of water like an old mop would ever consent to run as a candidate. And what sort of brazen tramp of a woman would it be that could stand it? Would it be any kind of woman we should want to see at the head of our government? What? It's basically saying, well, if a woman, what kind of woman would run for government? And if she does, would we really want her to be in government? Because she's obviously a tramp and crazy. Yeah. In the periodical Harper's Weekly, a cartoon was published that showed Victoria dressed in black with bat wings and holding a placard that read, Be Saved by Free Love. The background of the cartoon shows a woman hiking up a steep path holding an infant and drunk husband saying, I'd rather travel the hardest path of matrimony than follow in your footsteps. The cartoon was titled, Get Thee Behind Me, Mrs. Satan. Basically calling Victoria Satan. But I'm like, but she's saying free love. You don't have to drag a baby and a drunk husband up a hill. 
I don't get why this is such a bad thing. <laughs> just the baby. Just, just take the baby. Right. I still don't get why Victoria is so bad. <laughs> it's kind of like that and just ingrained. Indoctrination. Yeah. With women. Like, if you've been, like, a lot of people, like, if you've grown up to think that women belong in the kitchen, women will believe that they belong in the kitchen. And they'll even, like, fight for that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, or how about, I don't know, let's... How about you have some self-interest? Let's, let's look at it for what it is. They're human rights. Yeah. Yeah. Does it need to be gender-specific? Right. Victoria and Tenney had stopped printing their weekly newspaper due to financial setbacks of Victoria's presidential campaign. But three days before the election, they decided to print a special edition. On November 2nd, 1872, the Woodhull and Claflin Weekly published an article on Reverend, Henwer- on Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, the brother of Harriet Beecher Stowe. The Reverend had preached against Victoria's ideas on free love. So Victoria wrote about the Reverend's adulterous affair with the wife of his long-term supporter and poet Theodore Tilton. Dun, dun, dun. In the article, Victoria wrote, I have no doubt that the Reverend has done the best he could do under the circumstances, with his demanding physical nature and with the terrible restrictions on clergymen's lives. I'm not charging him with immorality. I applaud his enlightened views. I am charging him with hypocrisy. Victoria then listed her sources for this allegation and described the scene of when she told the Reverend that she was going to run the story, where he, where he fell to his knees and begged Victoria to not run it, threatening to kill himself. Victoria said if he confessed publicly, she would not run the story, but he declined and said, I am a moral coward. The newspaper also ran an article that accused a prominent Wall Street trader of picking up two girls, 15 and 16 years old, from the Academy of Music, giving them a bunch of wine, and then taking them to a house of ill repute where they were robbed of their innocence. Mm. The article stated, put a woman on trial for anything, let her even so much as go before the courts to obtain pecuniary justice, and it is considered a a legitimate part of the defense to make the most searching inquiry into her sexual morality, and the decision generally turns upon the proof advanced in this regard. How is it with regard to men? Who thinks of attacking them in regard to their sexual morality? Shortly after the newspaper was published, a warrant was issued for the arrest of the two sisters on charges of indecency for publishing an obscene newspaper and sending it through the mail. Both sisters were arrested and taken into custody on November 2nd, where they remained for a month. So that's like through Election Day. So even if Victoria was planning on voting, trying to vote for herself anyways, Mm -hmm. but now she can't even do that protest. Yeah. Yeah. The case against the sisters was eventually dismissed, and they were released from jail. Oh, no. what? You mean after the election? Yeah. Weird. No one knows how many votes Victoria received because those ballots were cast out and never counted. Hmm. James- I assume she would have been a write-in. Yeah. She was a write-in. Was everybody a write-in? They assumed, no. They assumed that she had about 2,000 votes. Oh, really? But like they said, they don't know that for sure because those ballots were literally... It literally, it said like 2,000 votes. I don't remember the wording, but it was like 2,000 votes cast out because of something, something. Mm-hmm. And they assumed that at least some of those were for her. Yeah. 
James left Victoria shortly after in 1876. Did she file petitions for mass voter fraud after she lost the election while she was in jail? Uh, She did not. Oh, weird. (laughs) Victoria was shunned in most public places and received death threats. Her speaking engagements were cut down to almost none, and most of the prominent suffragists rescinded their support of her. Susan B. Anthony wrote, Both sisters are regarded as lewd and indecent. When Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Matilda Jocelyn Gage published a comprehensive history of the women's suffrage movement in the 1880s, Victoria Woodhull was not mentioned even once. Even though she was the first lady to run for president. Hmm. She did. A, she was like one of the first women to speak in front of Congress, mm-hmm. and she wasn't even mentioned once. Just because she liked to wear her skirts a little short, above her ankles. Hey yeah. And she liked. S C A N D O L O U S. And she liked to talk about first class free love. Fergie, hit me up. Let's do a <laughs> collab. Yeah. DM me for collab. What is it? What do they say? I've got Instagram and stuff. I think that's it. Victoria continued with her mission of activism. Victoria and Tenney led a workers' parade despite police orders. Police were stationed at the doors of Cooper Union with orders to not let Victoria in to address the meeting being held there. Hmm. Victoria dressed in Quaker's clothes, slipped into the building, and began to give a rousing speech until a hand was clapped over her mouth and she was dragged from the building. (laughs) Cornelius Vanderbilt died in January of 1877, which led his children fighting in court over his estate. It is rumored that at least one of the children paid Victoria and Tenney handsomely in exchange for not testifying in court. (laughs) Victoria and Tenney left that August for England. While in England, Victoria gave a lecture titled The Human Body, the Temple of God, in London. A wealthy banker named John Bidolph Martin attended the lecture, and the two began to date. John and Victoria married on October 31st, 1883. Now she's 50 years old. Yeah. Third marriage? Third marriage. No. In 1892, Victoria published a magazine named The Humanitarian and remained active in women's suffrage. Victoria took up preserving the English home of George Washington's ancestors and became an automobile enthusiast. During World War I, she volunteered with the Red Cross. Victoria Claflin Woodhull Blood Martin died. Dang, she was old, World War I. Yeah, she died on June 9, 1927, in England at the age of 88. So she lived a full life. A full, very exciting life. Yeah. My sources for this... She was during World War One, so she was, like, volunteering with the Red Cross. When in she was her in 70s, her 70s. 80s. 70s, yeah, 80s, yeah. Putting up on the... Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, she did a lot of good things, and it's just because she didn't like what to be... She didn't like to be told what to do by men. She was forgotten. I don't... I don't either. <laughs> So, my sources for the story are Victoria Woodhull. Right? He, he could testify to that, though. Like, my dad and I, I was like, shut up, dad, you're wrong. Like, we're both like that. We're like, you're, you're both, no, you're wrong. No, that, no, no I mean, you're wrong. That, that is true. So. I've seen it. Is that what it's like to deal with me on, on a day-to-day basis? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why are you with me? 
It's my charming good looks. <laughs> you don't have to answer that question right now. Don't feel don't feel pressured. Don't feel to, pressured. Just don't don't feel pressured to just ignore that last there's question just, and, just read, like and read the next line. There's just like a long history. There's a long list of reasons why we're together. Oh. And it's just it would just take a long oh, time. Oh, it's that long? Yeah. It just take too long. Oh, so long. It's so long. <laughs> Listeners aren't interested. Yeah. <laughs> Publish that. Publish that uh, list later. Okay, we'll the do. Show notes. We'll do. <laughs> okay, sources for this story are Victoria Woodhull, Fearless Feminist, by Kate Havilan, Victoria Woodhull, by Maggie McLean, The Strange Tale of the First Women to Run for President, by Carol Felsenthal, Victoria Woodhull's Campaign, by Russell Krause, Notorious Victoria, The First Woman to Run for President, by Eileen Horn. Hmm. Okay, wait. So, can you state again the year that she ran for president? 1872. 1872. Yes. Do you know when the 19th Amendment was ratified? What year? 1920, right? 1920. Yeah. So, she ran 27, 47 years before women even... 48 years, yeah. Had the... Yeah, almost 50 years before women actually got the right to vote in the United States. Yeah. She ran for president. Bitches. Yeah. Mind-blowing. So crazy. Sorry. So crazy. Just... So ahead of her time. True visionary. People just couldn't handle it. Um, which sucks. Think about, think about how great this country could be. If we'd had a woman president in 1872? Yeah, men. Honestly, though, I'd be terrified that men would be absolutely irrelevant now. I mean, that's... That, it's It's possible. <laughs> You know Would that I mean? be such like, a bad thing, though? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm it not would be. saying irrelevant. Are you, you saying just like like we figured out a way to like reproduce and everything yeah, without yeah, you? Yeah, Is that yeah. like, no, and then absolutely. we're like, we don't need you, and we just no, let you guys absolutely. all die off. Absolutely, okay. 100%. Like, and like, I'm afraid that like because I feel like a lot of you know, people like, that get upset about women's rights and feminism are afraid that like they when they say irrelevant, they literally just mean equal to women because I think that actually scares them. If you mean like irrelevant, irrelevant, like we literally let all like men just <laughs> die off because we don't gone. need you. It's gone. Okay, like, haven't yeah. you seen that? Haven't you seen that Futurama episode where uh, it's in multiple episodes? But there's like a planet that they go to for deliveries. No, but it's I know basically like all women. No, <laughs> like, but I know that no there's. I know that there's actually like lizard species that only have women. They're all females, and they just like they can turn into males to reproduce, and it, they can turn it, back into females. They, they grow like the necessary genitalia yeah, yeah. and productive organs, and then they go back to being a female because that's better. Just like. <laughs> All around. Is it though? Yeah. You see it every month? <laughs> yeah, no, that sucks. <laughs> if I could just like choose to be a man all the time. <laughs> I like all being right. a lady. But Sorry. yeah, that, that monthly thing really gets in the way uh, of a lot of things. Uh, uh. Alright, so presidential trivia. Which president had the verse had the first vice president of color? I don't even know because like I'm already I, I suck already with presidents. And then you start asking me about their vice presidents, <laughs> and I'm like, ooh. So, it was Herbert Hoover. Ah, Hoover. Charles Curtis was a member of the Ka Nation. He grew up in North Topeka, Kansas. His father was white, and his mother was one quarter Ka. 
and is Native American. Nice. Charles was the great-grandson of White Plume, a caught chief that offered help to the Lewis and Clark expedition. Hmm. Crazy. And he is technically our, he is our first VP of color. Hmm. We hope you guys stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird, America. America.